Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Lord God, author of our great story, open our hearts and minds this day to the truth you revealed through the words of Jesus. Through your spirit, make these readings come alive, not only in our imagination, but in the work of our daily lives, till all the world reflects your kingdom. Amen. The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 2 through 13. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. And other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Now Jesus' disciples came and said to him, why do you use parables when you speak to the crowds? And Jesus replied, because they haven't received the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but you have. For those who have will receive more, and those, and they will have more than enough. But as for those who don't have, even the little they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to the crowds in parables. Although they see, they don't really see. And although they hear, they don't really hear or understand. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So why do you speak to the crowd in parables? If you're one of those people that like to have the good red letter Bibles that highlights very clearly the stuff Jesus said, it's a funny phenomenon. You'll find some places where he's speaking to his disciples and he gives instructions. You'll find a few places where he preaches in the synagogue or he's talking to the scribes and he has a very intellectual conversation about the scripture. But by and large, especially if he is talking to a big crowd, he speaks in parables. He tells them a story. Now, I, I don't find this as much of a mystery as the disciples do. I mean, from the time we're little, who doesn't love a good story? There's something about the way our brains are wired. We actually hook into narrative better than we do to numbers or facts or figures or aphorisms. Th that something about a beginning, a middle, and an end sticks with us. We can hang on to it. So maybe it's not so surprising that the stuff people remembered Jesus saying were the stories that he told. About six months ago, the leadership decided that um, we were gonna spend a whole summer doing something together as a community. It's not just a worship series, not just something inside these walls, but something that would unite our whole life for three months, two and a half months. And we spent a lot of time praying and discerning what that might be. And what we came back to again and again 
was how do we tell our story? Or more so, how do we live out our story? If you're gonna try and live out this story that is discipleship, then maybe the best ground to begin in is the stories that Jesus told. The stories that so many people remembered. They have this great thing about them. They, they speak to old people, they speak to young children, they speak to those of us stuck somewhere in the middle, and they always seem to have something slightly different to say. They're a little bit familiar if you've grown up in church, right? But there's also something intriguing and almost a little bit dangerous about these stories, these parables that Jesus told. One commentator was writing about parables in general and said, you know, we, we sometimes get confused because we've heard the parables of Jesus so often we think we know what they mean. But for the first hearers, hearing a parable was a little bit like seeing a ball thrown into the air, going up, starting its way back down, and then promptly taking a left-hand turn out into the field. There's, some, there's always an unexpected twist. There's something you don't go looking for. In this story, when Jesus tells it to the crowd, it comes at the end. It's this whole bit about 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. How many of you are gardeners or want to be gardeners? Um, I know for me, on my best day, I get something that looks like this cactus. In fact, that came from my house. Um, But some of you do, in fact, manage to get a sunflower seed to turn into a sunflower. But I bet you don't expect a sunflower seed to turn into 30 sunflowers, or 60 sunflowers, or 100, maybe down generations, but right immediately. There's something surprising about that. Agrarian society isn't exactly what we live in, right? So most people in Jesus' audience had tried to grow something. Um, We've seen what happens when I try and grow something. Some of you may be like that. So maybe if I was gonna tell the story today, it might be something like, imagine that Pastor Peter told a funny joke. And, (laughs) wow, they got to the punchline before I did. Um, So he told the joke and and it fell in our congregation as it usually does, kind of. Um, so he decided to take the joke to Instagram, and there were a few people who kind of who picked it up. And maybe he took the story, uh, the funny joke, to Facebook. And it grew a little bit, but you know that algorithm, it's funny. So it got choked out by a whole lot of other news stories and, and cat pictures and baby pictures. That's what happens on Facebook. So he decided he's going straight to the source. He takes it to Twitter, and he gets his own hashtag. And within a few hours, that thing goes viral, and he's got the bishop calling him to tell him how funny his joke was. I know this takes a little leap of the imagination, but... <laughs> This is kind of the left-hand turn that's happening in the parable. The people knew what it was like to grow something. They knew that if you tossed out seed, you would never let it hit the path. The path is too hard packed, the seed won't go in. You wouldn't put it on the stone because it won't last very long. You have to work all the weeds out of the soil or you will have wasted your crop, it'll get choked out. You can only plant the seed in good soil. 
And then the disciples came and asked him to explain it. Because I think that maybe they heard that parable a little bit the way we like to hear that parable, right? When we start talking about different kinds of soils, maybe the most common interpretation for this story is that soils are people, right? And you will meet some people who are a little rocky. <laughs> they just, you know, you, things seem to kind of spring up and then die away and spring up and die away. Do you know those people in your life who are really good starters and not so great finishers? Or, or there are some people who are a little prickly. We try and love them anyway, but sometimes the prickliness chokes out other stuff. Or maybe there are those people who have been so used and so worn and so beaten up that they need a hard shell to protect them. Sometimes we, they like to be like a turtle, right? They hide down inside that hard, packed exterior. But of course, those are the kinds of people out there. You know, in here, we are all good soil all the time. <laughs> good, I got my audience is with me. We are rocking. All right, yes, we want this thing. We want to feel like we are good soil all the time and that the word will take root and it will bring fruit in our lives and we will get disciples 30, 60, 100 fold. But that laughter, that's telling laughter. You already know. Sometimes we're good soil, and sometimes not so much. As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a story of a young preacher, and then I was informed that some of you have been reading the story of this young preacher, so we'll see how long it takes you to guess. Um, I was reminded of a story of a young preacher. He was a PK. He had grown up, that's a pastor's kid, so he'd grown up in a parsonage, Woot. Um, his brother became, in fact, he had two brothers who also became clergy. So there's good, good growth here, well-grounded in faith. While he was away at school, um, he and his little brother had actually gotten quite the reputation as being the holiest guys on campus. Um, while everybody else was out partying and drinking and gambling away their daddy's money, they were praying. They were studying Greek and Hebrew. They would take communion daily, and they would go visit the prisons and the poorhouse and talk to people that no one in their station of life would ever dream of associating with. He was a good, young, ambitious, on-fire preacher. And so, when one of the ministers of parliament got this idea to start a colony for people who needed a second chance, he called it Georgia, this young preacher decided that he would sign on to be one of the four clergy to go over and help start out this colony. He was big, he was excited. He knew he'd get to work with colonists, but he was really excited about talking to these new people, the Native Americans who lived there. He was gonna be a missionary, he was gonna produce disciples, he was gonna do a great thing for Jesus. And then on the ship over, they hit a hurricane. What's it like to go through a hurricane on land? It's not fun, no, yeah, yeah, this, this thing. Imagine going through a hurricane on a 200-foot boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. This would be an experience to try most men's souls, and that it did. 
Our young preacher within minutes found himself not only questioning Jesus, but his own will to live. He was pretty sure he was going down with that ship and he was not proud of the way he behaved in the face of that storm. When he would look back on it later, it would be one of those moments that he knew his soul had been a little bit rocky, right? It started out really well, he was really excited, but that faith didn't have nearly the deep roots he thought it did. Once they passed through the storm, he found some mentors to kind of help him, to get him back on his feet. He started doing good work. He had some success in Georgia. He got there and all the people liked him. His brother, not so much. His friends, not so much. But in Savannah, Georgia, they ate up his sermons. They changed the way they dress. They changed the way they ate. They started coming to church. It was amazing. He was doing great things. And then he met a young lady. And he got a little distracted. And he made some bad choices. Um, it is never a good idea to refuse to serve communion to the judge of the town in which you're living to. Yeah, no, so you go after the most powerful family in town, chances are some, some thorny situations are going to arise. Um, and all of his success seemed to disappear overnight. Suddenly where he thought the soil had been good and fertile, he discovered little rumor weeds working their way up. Thorns and prickles and pain. He, he was actually run out of his own church. Yeah, that's real heartening. <laughs> Where he had had success, suddenly it was choked out by all of these outside distractions. Maybe you've had that moment. Maybe you've been in that place where you felt like the new Bible study was great or you came back from UM Army all on fire and you were gonna do big things. But then there were cat videos on Facebook. Um, or there was a new season of The Real Housewives of wherever. Or you got, you got in a fight with your sister or your mother or your spouse and suddenly all of that great success that you were making in your discipleship walk, it just got choked out. The other stuff going on. I know for me, if I go through enough of those times, if there are enough thorns and pricks, it's real tempting for me to turn into a turtle. You get beat up enough, you get talked about enough, you take enough from people, and you stop wanting to be vulnerable. It's real easy to get like that hard packed path, right? Because that's really what a path is. It's dirt that's been trampled on. It's been walked on and stamped down until nothing gets in. And we fool ourselves into thinking that's a good way to live. Our young preacher, John Wesley, when he left Georgia, when he got run out of town on a rail, he was not real interested in being open or vulnerable or trying again. He'd been stamped on and trampled, and to make matters worse, by the time he got back to London, his little brother was doing better than he was. I know, just insult to injury. 
Over the next few months, it was really hard for him to even embrace that identity as a pastor. You can read Wesley's journals to this day, and you will see this period when he returns to London from Georgia. This is the period leading up to Aldersgate, is one of the darkest and most difficult for him. He finds it hard to even pray. He finds it hard to talk to his friends. He even finds it hard to take the Lord's Supper, but he never gives up on those things. Because he knows this little secret. No matter how hard-packed we are, the only thing that will open us back up is a willingness to be vulnerable to God. See, Wesley knew that no matter how thorny things had been, no matter how great his fervor had burned out, no matter how hard-packed and trampled he was at this moment, God the gardener was still tossing seed. He was still being gracious. He was still trying to take root in John's life. It's a good thing that God is not a smart gardener. When Jesus told this parable, there were plenty of people who would have said, (laughs) that is a really bad idea to plant on the path or the stones or in the thorns because only the good soil is going to be worth your time. But that's not how things work in the kingdom of God. God looks at us when things are rocky, when we have started well and burned out and said, still worth the effort. God looks at us when we have been choked out by distractions or pain or rumor and says, still worth the effort. God looks at us when we have curled up in our hard-packed little turtle shells and says, oh, definitely worth the effort. Because God knows the only way good soil gets good is if you till it. You can have all the right stuff. You can have the right nutrients, the right animal byproducts that you need, Um, but until you work that dirt, until you turn it over and pull the weeds out, until you let it get hoed over, good soil won't be good and ready to receive the seed and let it take root. Jesus actually tells this parable twice. When he tells it to the crowd, he focuses on the yield that comes, 30, 60, 100 fold. He wants to remind them what is possible in the great kingdom of God, what God's grace can do in their lives and for those around them. But when he tells this parable again, And here's your challenge, go look it up. It's the very next set of verses. When he tells this parable again to the disciples, he focuses on the soil and what becomes of each soil. Because he knows these men will have times when their soil is a little rocky and they will have to find deeper roots. He knows there will be times when pain and distraction make it difficult to do work, when they will get chased out of towns or just not feel like growing anymore. He knows there will be times when they are so beaten up and walked over that it is much easier to just curl up in their shell 
than to let anything new take root within them. But they can be good soil. They can make disciples. And they are gonna have to reach out and continue to work on those who have not yet had a seed take root in them. If you continue to read Wesley's journals, Aldersgate was a great moment. Love of God took root deep in his heart and he produced disciples over the course of his life, 30, 60, 100 fold. He launched a movement that is one of the largest in Christian history and continues to this day, but there were still moments when he was rocky. There were still moments when there were thorns. There were still moments when he felt trampled over and done. But God never, never, never gave up on him. And so the challenge for us today is to keep receiving and to ask at each stage, at each place, how is it with your soul? And what is the work God wants to do in you? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Earlier this morning, at the early service, we recognized and sent off the UM Army crowd. They were headed to Shreveport, had to get there by three, and so they left immediately after the recognition. But what a great example of taking a next step, of headed out on a mission, of staying connected even in the ways in which we find ourselves serving beyond the walls, beyond the community, and beyond the zip code. It's a great example of a group of folk who have some pretty good soil going on at the moment. I wasn't really sure, did Pastor Kate say, uh, how is it with your soul or how is it with your soil? That would be the joke that wouldn't make it on Twitter. <laughs> Chapel Wood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take our next step in our faith journey with Christ. Maybe your next step today is to join this congregation. We'd love for you to come down during our closing hymn. Uh, we'd love to talk about uh, plans for your joining and uh, baptism and those other commitments that really make up the first step that all the other steps come from. Um, before we sing our closing song, We'd like to make sure that you know that as you travel this summer over the next eight weeks, we'd love to know where you are. And now the old ways you'd do that is by bringing a bulletin from the place that you went to church while you're on vacation. But we've got a better deal than that. In fact, the Reeves have been vacationing on uh, the Gulf Coast over in Alabama with family. And they sent a video postcard to share with you where they've been. So it's as simple as that. Um, you hold the uh, uh, smartphone in front of you, uh, have everybody introduce themselves, say where you've been, and say how you're staying connected to God and to, to this community, and then say bye. You can email it to the office. Um, we'd love to show it uh, on a Sunday morning to let people know uh, how you've been staying connected as well. Uh, as our for our closing hymn is Bring Forth the Kingdom. You can find it in the thin black hymnals um, on page 2190. David Hill's gonna come and lead us in that. However it is with your soul, the grace of God, the love of Christ, the strength of the Spirit, 
still works and empowers you, still wants to take hold in your life. So go forth from this place, bear good fruit, and spread that light to each you meet. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.